Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show for this Tuesday evening. We are so glad that you're along today on National Houseplant Appreciation Day. I, I would sincerely hope that you appreciate your houseplants for all the hard work they do for you. What? what a, all right. Uh, yeah, but appreciate them. It's National Houseplant Appreciation Day. It really is. So, you know, celebrate accordingly. Uh, welcome to the show. Glad you are along. We've got many, many things non-houseplant related to get to today on the show. We are going to be chatting about our debt in this province, not just in this country, in our province. It's amazing how much money we as taxpayers are spending every month just to flush down the toilet to service our debt. It's amazing how much. It's amazing to think what we could do with the money we are flushing down the toilet. Well, we'll get into that a little bit and whether there's any kind of solution at all for it. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about immigration this hour as well, because uh, you've probably heard that the that our country is going to be inviting, well, this year 465,000, next year 485,000, the year after 500,000 new people to the country. Uh, immigration in large part, in many ways, has helped to build this country. Immigration has been a good thing for this country. Question is not about whether or not we support immigration. Actually, the question that we're going to talk about is the flip of that. When we bring all these people into this country, are we setting them up for success? Are we, are we in a position to support all these people who are going to be coming here, not all of whom are going to be wealthy? What are we doing to make sure that all these people who come are going to have a place to live and are going to have access to medical care and all, all these other things? Surely we won't simply say, come on in and then turn it into a Darwinian adventure where they can rise or fall. Surely we're going to offer some kind of supports, but what are we going to offer? And can we do it with that many people? Well, we'll get into that one. It's not an anti-immigration screed by any stretch. It's a pro-immigration thing. Why would we want to bring someone here to watch them fail? We'll find out if that's the inevitable or if it's not the inevitable. A lot of people are wondering about that. Uh, next hour, some really interesting news about the ability to fly out of Hamilton. So it's, a, it's an issue that has risen and fallen over the years so many times, the idea of passenger flights and where we can fly in Hamilton. And too often, we have these announcements of flights and planes and airlines that come here, and then all of a sudden, before long, they're gone. They're not flying out here anymore. Well, there's some good news, but is it good news that's going to last? We're going to talk about that as well next hour. As always, the first segment of the Scott Radley Show is brought to you exclusively by fox40shop.com for sport and for safety. It has to be fox40shop.com. Enter the promo code Radley at checkout and you will get 25% off your order. One other bit of news today that was really interesting. The government announced today, the federal government announced that it's spending $7.5 million to boost tourism in this area, in the Golden Horseshoe area, which is you know, it's it's not a bad thing. Bringing in tourists is a is a way to bring money into our economy. People come here, they spend money. Tourism is a positive thing if you can do it. Here's my question always, though, and maybe I am missing something. But when let me ask you, and then I'll offer my thought. 
when you bring someone to this city, if you live in Hamilton or the surrounding area and you bring someone here or you have a visitor come, where do you take them? What do you show them? What is What are our tourist things that you say, oh, that's obvious? I mean, I, I can think of a bunch, but they're not necessarily right in the city of Hamilton. I mean, we take someone to Niagara Falls, right? Or you take them to CN Tower in Toronto, or you take them to Stratford, or what's the thing in Hamilton? This has always been one of the puzzles for me. Love this city, not knocking the city. I'm just not sure what the thing is that when someone comes here, we say, oh, you know what? They've heard about this forever and they got to go see it. What is that thing? Thunder and Castle? Maybe. Maybe. Not sure. Not sure that anyone who doesn't live in Hamilton knows about Dundurn Castle and has been dying to see Dundurn Castle. Maybe they have. You take them to a Ticats game? Okay, if that's in season, sure. People may have heard about the Ticats, but that's not inexpensive now, but that's one thing you could do. But what else do you do? The RBG? Well, sure, okay. Again, in season, sure. You can you can do that. And, and, you know, people who have an interest in gardening or flowers, that kind of thing, it would be great for them, for others. I, I This is always one of the tricky things for me in this city. What is our, what's our tourist destination? What is the thing that people know this city for that they would be dying to go and see if they don't live here? I don't know what it is. And I don't know how we make something that way. I argued a long time ago. Now, again, this probably, this is probably something that people wouldn't know about. Even if we did it, you'd have to get here and then introduce it to them. But I've argued long ago that one of the things that we have going on in this city and we do really well at it now is uh, filming for shows and movies and things like that. We should be having a walking tour or even a driving tour of movie sites. It wouldn't be that difficult to do it on your phone. You have a map, you have a thing, you can hit the button, you, you tap on the phone, the picture, a, a screenshot from the movie comes up. So then it tells you where to stand so you can see the same building or the same. I mean, that would be something that people who aren't necessarily from here, but who have watched a ton of movies or a ton of TV would go, oh, that, that, yeah, Handmaid's Tale. I would, yeah, okay, sure. I'd go around and see that. But what's the thing? I don't, I truly don't know what you would tell someone if they said, oh, what are we going to do when we come to Hamilton? What's, what's there to see? What's the thing that you direct them to that would not just get you off the hook by giving you something to show them, but that they would be really excited to see? You know, you go to Toronto, people are really excited to go up the CN Tower. I think people are excited to go to Casa Loma or to go to, you know, whatever else. There's a bunch of things there. Or as I say, down in Niagara Falls, what's the thing? Let me know if you've got one that works, that you know that people say, oh, I, 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 I've I, always wanted to come to Hamilton to see that. Let me know what it is. Send me a text, 905-645-3221. I'm not trying to be dumping on this. I love the idea that we're going to spend some money on tourism stuff. I just, I always wonder what is the thing that you can best pitch Hamilton with. I'm not sure what that is. Let's take a break. When we come back, well, we're spending tax dollars, but you know what? At this point, with the debt that we have, why not? We're going to talk about that debt and how it's impacting us. We'll do that next. Stay with us. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. You know that governments have been spending more money, some of it essential because we've just been through COVID, some of it over the top, whatever else. But regardless of whether it's smart spending or not smart spending, it's spending. And as a result of that, uh, the interest payments, because we do, when we go in debt, you have to pay interest. You have to service the debt. It's the same as if you have a mortgage. Even if you don't pay anything on the principal, every month you have to pay the interest. It's the same thing. Well, in Ontario now, just Ontario, forget the rest of the country, forget our federal contribution. In Ontario alone this year, we are going to spend $14.5 billion just to service the debt, over a billion dollars a month. Taxpayers' money, a billion dollars a month. If you could make a toilet flushing noise to go with this, that would be what would be an appropriate sound effect because we are just going to take a billion plus dollars a month in this province that you are going to be taxed on to bring that money in and flush it down the toilet. This is the reason why debt is not ideal always. I know some people say, oh, debt's no big deal. Debt's no problem for governments. Debt's no problem. Well, maybe, but it's money that you are going to have taken out of your pocket to pay tax on that we're just going to burn. Jay Goldberg is the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He joins us now. Jay, how are you today? Very well. Great to be with you. What would you do if you were in charge of the world and someone said, I'll give you a billion dollars a month? What would you do with it? I think I would start by building about a hospital a month because uh, you can get a state-of-the-art hospital here in Ontario for right around a billion dollars, just slightly above. So the fact that we are spending $14.5 billion this year on debt interest means we probably could have had about 13 brand-new state-of-the-art hospitals instead. You also could have cut the HST three points, uh, you know, the provincial portion down from 8% to 5%. So those are two two choices, quick choices for you right there. You know, 13 new hospitals, HST down to 10%. Uh, either one, pick your poison, but, you know, both are way, way better than what we're about to spend all that money on. Here's what I don't understand about this. And, and look, I've said it a bunch of times on this show, and I mean it, that during COVID, I understood CERB. I got why in the short term it had to be done, all that kind of thing, but even beyond that, there are those, Jay, who have absolutely no problem with federal or provincial debt. They, 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 you know, let's spend, who cares? Let's spend, we can borrow money for it. I don't understand how or where the disconnect is to see that it it's not free. We are using tax dollars to have to go towards the debt rather than towards important things. I, I've never understood how that's not clear. Well, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of people, especially in government, uh, you know, had this fancy modern monetary theory idea that somehow you could endlessly borrow money and it wouldn't cause inflation and you'd be able to keep interest rates low. And that that way we wouldn't have to spend so much on debt interest, even if we racked up all kinds of debt. Well, you know, these people have been proven very wrong. Uh, we do have inflation now. And, and as a result, the Bank of Canada is going pretty aggressively to hike interest rates. And what does this mean? So all of this extra government spending and borrowing over time, the Bank of Canada has printed $300 billion in the last few years. Uh, What does this all mean? This all means that all of a sudden, 
we are spending all kinds of cash on debt interest that our politicians didn't think they'd have to because they didn't think interest rates would go up. But the other consequence of this is when governments created all of this debt, when we printed all this money and inflation is high, interest rates go up. And so that affects, yes, the public debt. And so we're now spending $14.5 billion on it this year. But it also affects, if you have a variable mortgage, that affects that. Uh, credit card interest rates, those are going to be affected as well. Uh, if you have a line of credit, your rate's going to be affected. So government profoundly has an impact on everyday people. And whether it's paying all this extra tax to, as you say, flush it down the toilet, or whether you know your mortgage is going to go up five, six, seven hundred dollars a month because it's a variable mortgage, these are the very real implications of a long time of government overspending, overborrowing. Uh, and I think you're right. Talking about COVID, that was an exceptional circumstance. But look, Ontario's balanced its budget one time in the last 15 years. That's not just a question of COVID. No, and some people will also say, and I've heard this, that, well, you know, as inflation has happened, this has been a windfall for governments because uh, if you pay a percentage of tax on $100 for an item, well, if that item now is $110, there's more tax. Governments, they'll never say it in a million billion years. Governments kind of like inflation in some way because it automatically means more money rolling into them. The problem is... Whether it's that or whatever, with all this money, ultimately it's you and I who are paying this. If inflation goes up, it's more tax we're paying. Yeah, the government can maybe pay a little more if they want to, but it's always going to come from the taxpayers to cover all this. Well, that's right. It doesn't come out of thin air. You know, if there's extra revenue from the government, it, it is clearly coming out of our pockets. And I pointed out, actually, the, the government here in Ontario brought in $4 billion more than they expected in sales tax revenue last year. And that, of course, is because of inflation. You know, prices are higher, and it's exactly as you say. Uh, right, it's not great management. It's a percentage of a good. but It's, it's not, not great, great management. management. It's the fact then, that the system went that way. Exactly. It's not great management. And then on the other side, well, all of a sudden, debt interest payments are going up as well. So, you know, revenue might be going up through sales tax. And again, that's coming out of our pocket. But now all of a sudden they have to spend more on debt interest. So it's really, you know, when, when it's all said and done, it's just more money out of our pockets. And I'm not really sure that the government's any further ahead once they have to account for all this uh, interest payment. Well, okay, so now we have to pay over a billion dollars a month, which will come out of taxpayers because that'll be hikes somehow. We'll have to find that money somewhere. And I don't have a complete list in front of me, but I was just going through some of this. We know, we've heard anyway here in Hamilton, I know in Toronto they've already announced it, but we've heard that, you know, the initial amount for our property tax increase might be around 6%. They may get it down below that, but, you know, it's it's difficult, so it may be there. We've got the carbon tax that's going up. We've got, you go to the LCBO now or the liquor store or the beer store, and we've got this sort of every year uh, ladder tax that goes up there. Uh, EI premiums are going up. I mean, listen, every, everywhere you turn, plus inflation, everywhere you turn, we're being dinged right now. It just, it seems like it's never ending. Yeah, you know, taxpayers are being hammered, as you said. The Trudeau government introduced an escalator on the alcohol tax, so it goes up automatically every year. They've got the carbon tax going up every year between now and 2030. As you said, with property taxes, you know, 
It's funny. I came out today uh, and was talking about Toronto's property tax increase, which is going to be 7% in the coming year. Uh, you know, and some people on Twitter were saying, well, uh, you know, these are wealthy people in Toronto. They, you know, they have all, they have the homes. They some, should be able to pay. Some. Uh, the reality is, I mean, you might have a senior who's owned that home for 40 years, bought the home for, you know, a tenth of what it's worth now. They're on a fixed income, pension, retirement. They can't all of a sudden afford to pay 7% more uh, in property tax. And it'll be the same for people in Hamilton and everywhere else around the province and the country. So people can't afford this. And there's not one government, really, that's coming out to say, you know, inflation is tough. We want to figure out a way to help make your life more affordable. Uh, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, they're all coming for more money. And that seems to be the consistent theme. We've seen 51 other countries around the world cut taxes to try to respond to this. I guess to the Ford government's credit, they cut the gas tax a little bit, but there's much more the government can be doing. And so we're seeing here in, in Canada that we're not really having a government empathizing with Canadians who are struggling through this inflation period. And their answer seems to be more borrowing, more spending, uh, and that'll be more inflation. Okay, so why don't we got to go? But why why is it so difficult? And it's not just, you know, one color of government. We see this because you're talking about the Ford government right now. We see it with the Trudeau government. Why does no government seem to look at this and say, you know what, it's really getting very expensive for everyone. Maybe rather than more spending, maybe we can find a different way. But the answer to everything seems to be more spending, which ultimately comes out of our pocket. Well, I think these politicians, look, they're very disconnected from the lives of everyday people. Unfortunately, they're making very high six-figure salaries. They've got their cushy pensions and their health plans. And unfortunately, uh, they seem to like power. They seem to like to, you know, tend to all of their spending priorities. And unfortunately, nobody really wants to leave money and power back with the people where it started in the first place. That's what our politicians need to be doing. And they seem to be forgetting that. And I think there's a lot of people in Ontario uh, who are disappointed, in particular, with Premier Ford, not because, uh, you know, he's any uh, any different than Prime Minister Trudeau or premiers in other parts of the country. But, you know, he's Ford Nation. He ran on this taxpayer, pro-taxpayer platform. He had a record in Toronto. And we're really not seeing it. And if they really empathize with Ontarians who are struggling through inflation right now, it's time for some relief. And so, look, it's budget period. Uh, the province, the feds are going to come out with budgets this winter. It's time for them to get in tune with the needs of the people, and that is to leave more money in our pockets. And so hopefully we'll see that when the budgets come down in the next few months. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll leave it with you, the listeners, as we go to a break here. What would you do with a billion? If you were in government and someone said you have a billion dollars extra a month, what would you do with it? Hospitals? Salaries for different people? Roads? Public transit? I mean, the, the, the potential is endless. But instead, we're just flushing it. Just wasting it. Makes no sense. Let's take a break. Back after this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. If you go back in this country, and most people who know anything about the background, the history, the growth of this country know that a large part of our growth, of our success, of what's made us great has been people coming from other places in the world as immigrants 
and coming to Canada and contributing in ways that have made us better. So the idea of immigration, I think a lot of people are going to look at and say, most people probably are going to look at and say, yeah, that's really good. Now the, you know, the federal government is saying we're going to go up to half a million people a year within a couple of years. Well, that's where things get a little dicey for some people, I think, not because they are xenophobic, not because they're racist, not because they're anti-immigrant, because there are questions, I think, in some people's minds about, are we offering a chance at success for that many people, considering how difficult it is to get housing already, considering all the other challenges that we face in this country? Are half a million people who come here, not all who are going to be rich, are they going to be set up for success here? Sarah Wayland is the Senior Project Manager with the Hamilton Immigration Partnership Council. She joins us now. Sarah, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. This is a really tough one because I think a lot of people, uh, and as I said, I think probably most people, understand and recognize and appreciate the the value that people who come here bring to the country but in these numbers and at this time with so many challenges that are already being faced infrastructure wise and everything else in the country are we in a position to set up these half a million immigrants for success when they come yeah well thanks for having me on the show to talk about this because it has been in the news a lot lately and I've been reading and hearing some concerns and um, I also think it's important that like you did you put it in a bit of historical perspective when you started off and if you look at what Canada has accepted in terms of numbers of immigrants in the past what we're seeing right now although maybe <clears throat> the numbers seem high. The proportion is not really high compared to what it has been historically. It's just our population in Canada is growing. And so in order to keep accepting around the 1% level, those numbers are going to grow. And in a few years, that will be 500,000. But proportionally, it's not really all that different to what we've seen over the past decade or so. So when they come, uh, there will be some who I assume will have some wealth and will be able to come here and buy a house or buy a condo or whatever else. What are we doing, though? Because we're already facing challenges here with people who already live here to find places to live that's affordable. What are we doing to make sure that the people who are going to come have a shot? Yeah, well, there's these are good questions. And um at any point in history, there's always some concerns raised about immigrants and how they're going to fit in and how they're going to either find work or find housing or the like. And right now, we in Canada have incredible labor market shortages. So the federal government has made a decision to bring more, um, you know, to keep immigration levels very robust in order to fill a lot of those labor market gaps that we have. And whether or not that impacts housing is um, another question, but I think the focus really is that uh, newcomers will come to this country and fill the labor market gaps, and often they're not, they don't tend to buy houses right away. They're working into the rental market. And um, housing is a whole other issue that uh, you'd have to speak to a city planner about, but in terms of um, employment and labor market issues, I can speak to that a bit more and what 
we need to set up newcomers for success. And it's not, um, there's a lot of attention on housing right now, but the important piece is around labor market needs and setting people up for success through getting them integrated into the labor market. And we've heard from lots of employers, listen, an Immigration Partnership Council is embedded in economic development at the city of Hamilton. And we're called every day by local employers who can't find enough people to fill jobs that are going wanting. And they're looking for newcomers to come and take those jobs. And uh, it's a really exciting time to be to be working in this field. It's a really tricky question, but should we should the government be then selecting who comes based primarily or largely on the skills that they already have so they can fill the available jobs? Or do we, are we better off to say, if you are willing to work and willing to learn these things, come here and we'll train you to fill those jobs? I think you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing all of the above, I guess. So right now we have about one third of uh, people who become permanent resident or landed immigrant right now in the country. We're already living here in Canada. So those numbers are a bit deceiving. Those people were already here either as temporary workers or as international students, and they're already often working and filling some kind of um, labor market need. So they have the skills that it takes to kind of fill those gaps. Um, and then the uh, huge percentage of our newcomers are coming under economic class immigrant immigration, which means that they're chosen for the skills that they have and the education focus that they have already. Uh, and then others are coming in other categories and they um, work as essential workers often in jobs that are harder to fill because they have lower wages. And you'll often see newcomers overrepresented in those jobs that are, they're good starter jobs, but people don't stay in them in the long term generally because they're very physically demanding. They may involve shift work. They may um, not pay as well. The other, the other issue that wasn't an issue for the longest time, it's become since COVID. I mean, for the longest time, we, we bragged about our healthcare system. Now all we're hearing is how overstrained our healthcare system is. Um, I, I don't think that immigrants <laughs> are going to be more likely than anyone else to need healthcare by and large, but Again, do we have the capacity when we add another half million people? And especially considering, I think, and correct me if this is not right, but that generally most, at least when they first arrive here, will gravitate towards larger cities. Um, are we capable of, of handling that right now, or do we need to do something about that? Yeah, well, I would say that uh, immigrants are um, part of the solution for that, specifically speaking to the healthcare. Um, issues that you raised. Uh, in Hamilton, specifically, um, immigrants are more likely to have a healthcare background than they are almost any other background. Healthcare and business administration are the most common backgrounds among uh, immigrants coming to Hamilton. So they can be part of the solution when there are gaps in the labor market and, and filling, filling those gaps. Um, and in terms of whether they're uh, going to large cities or smaller areas, it's it's actually diversifying now. We're seeing less immigration straight to the big cities like Toronto and Vancouver and more people going to mid-sized cities like Hamilton and even smaller if they're aware of the 
opportunities. Um, is that because for, of cost? You write for the Hamilton Spectator, and I noticed that on Saturday. So I still get the physical paper, and there was a front page story on Saturday's paper about a company in Norfolk County, Titan Trailers, that yes, has yes. hired Ukrainian refugees um, to fill a, a huge gap that they have. They ha- they were a year behind in their production orders. And they have hired a number of Ukrainians and looking to hire more to help fill those needs. And they've attracted them to this small community by offering temporary housing for the workers. So there's some exciting kind of solutions that I think you wouldn't see if we didn't have robust immigration levels. No, it was a uh, it was a terrific story, and and you're right. And people should, uh, if they can look it up, they should read it because it's it is a great story about someone who is doing something that is, as you say, not only giving work and shelter to people who are coming here, um, but also drawing them, as you say, from necessarily just going where it's obvious to the big city to, to somewhere they may not obviously have thought of. Um, it, there's a lot of interesting things here. I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this. And I know there will be much more discussion about this because, um, you know, it, it, these are not simple questions and not simple answers. Sarah Wayland, a Senior Project Manager with the Hamilton Immigration Partnership Council. Thanks so much for doing this. You're welcome. Have a good night. Let us take a very quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Matt's story of the day coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 6.51 on a Tuesday evening. It is time for Matt's story of the day. Matt is in today. I'm going to give Matt three stories from around the world. Matt will then decide which one he likes best. And that becomes Matt's story of the day. It is that simple. All right, Matt, here we go. Let us start today in, where are we here? In England, in uh, uh, Scotland, pardon me, in Scotland. There is a uh, prisoner there who was, uh, I mean, he was on some, up for some pretty bad charges, sex-related things. That's not really the issue. The issue is he there. He is being threatened. There's, the U.S. is trying to extradite him to stand trial on these charges. He was caught over there in Scotland, but... Um, the charges, he was on Interpol's most wanted list, apparently. And so the U.S. is possibly going to try and extradite him. Well, he is he is seeking bail. He wants to be released on bail. And why does he think that he should get bail, considering he's been on the lam and, you know, hasn't exactly been making himself available and people might think he's going to take off somewhere? Well, um, mental anguish and torture is the reason. Because he says that other prisoners in cells near his are taunting him. Because remember, he's up for extradition. Are taunting him by singing John Denver's Leaving on a Jet Plane. (laughs) As he's in his cell, they are singing. They are serenading him with a song about getting on a plane and flying somewhere else. And, And hearing Leaving on a Jet Plane by other inmate after other inmate is mental anguish and emotional torture. And therefore he should be eligible to be out on bail because, you know, only makes sense, right? That if, if, if the prisoners sing to you and it's a song you don't like that, that is, that is difficult. I mean, that's one of the most covered songs of all time. It must be a good song for somebody. You know, maybe, maybe they just like the song. Maybe he can't prove probably that That's they true. weren't singing this before he even got there. This is just the favorite jailhouse song, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, story number two, uh, this one, this one may make you more angry than, than funny, but nonetheless, 
in England, a, a cricket club that was established in 1905, it's a historic cricket club in a neighborhood in England, is now potentially closing. And why is it closing? Well, because a neighbor bought a house on the periphery of this cricket club two years ago. This club's been open for over 120 years, roughly, or they're almost 120 years. But a neighbor, a person bought a house on the edge of this cricket club two years ago and has begun to get really upset that cricket balls are landing in his lawn. And so he has taken complaints to all levels of government who are now demanding that cricket not be played there anymore because they can't keep the balls off his lawn. And now they're saying this whole thing may have to be shut down because of this neighbor who is causing this this issue. This, this to me, and again, usually these things are funny. This to me is infuriating. This is like moving next to an airport and then complaining about the noise when the airport already exists or moving next to train tracks and going, it's really too noisy. They have to stop the trains. No, you bought the house there. Now they're saying, as I say, now those uh, cricket balls is, are really expensive. You could uh, have a pretty good business uh, reselling them, to be honest. Well, yeah. And I mean, maybe, Hey, maybe they are coming through his front window. That's true. But I, my point would still be, <laughs> you bought that house there. The cricket field, the cricket pitch did not go up after you bought the house. You knew where you were buying and you still bought it. I think complaining what they should say to him, caveat emptor. That's Latin. People can look it up. Lefo in England, like something 100 years is just like ho-hum. <laughs> There's so many things that are more than 100 suppose, years old like that. I suppose, but I mean, again, if you if that. you bought a house next to the airport, I don't think you have the right to then say it's too loud. Stop the planes after seven o'clock at night, or whatever. Uh, finally, in Indiana this week, um, you know, we 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 love our idiot criminals, and this guy certainly qualifies. In Indiana this week, in Madison, Indiana, a um, a man walked into a store. Actually, walked back into a store. And asked the person at the counter, hey, did anyone find my bag of meth that I left in the bathroom? <laughs> uh, he was promptly arrested. They called the police. And yes, he had actually left a bag of meth, which the store people, the, 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 the worker at the store had found it and had removed it. And they had called the police to point this out. And of course, this guy goes in as the police, I guess, are on their way. And so they arrive. But yes, you have to be a special kind of stupid to forget your bag of meth and then go back and ask for it and not think that something bad might happen. Yeah, take a look yeah. first, at least. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he looked. Okay. But at a certain point, even if <laughs> even if you've looked and it's not there, do you not then say... Just call yeah, the day. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I don't know that I can go up to the counter and say, yeah, my, my crystal meth. Have you seen it? That, that seems to me to be not all that intelligent. Will your story of the day, therefore, be the Scottish prisoner who is fighting extradition because of mental anguish because other prisoners are singing, leaving on a jet plane <laughs> to him? Will it be the home buyer who bought a house next to a cricket pitch is now complaining about the cricket pitch and has managed to get this historic pitch basically shut down? Or will it be the criminal who forgot a bag of meth in a bathroom and went back to ask the staff if they had found it? I, I got to go with the uh, the jail singing. Uh, that, that's just, it, it just gets me. I, I, I do think that's pretty pretty funny. I do, you know, I, I would love now 
to see them turn this into a jailhouse choir and appear on like America's Got Talent. That's the thing. I it's mean, a, I think there's potential here. It's a big deal when you get the live music in the prisons when people play the the jails and you, you get that for free, like right outside of your cell every night. It's it's pretty good. Hey, you, I mean, America's Got Talent. There have been other choirs. Maybe they may have to do it by Zoom from their cell, but nonetheless, I, I think there's potential here. Maybe they're good. Who knows? Maybe they're really good. Maybe the world needs to hear these people. We'll see. Uh, there's Matt's story of the day. We're going to take a break. When we come back after the news, we are going to be talking about Hamilton's airport. There is some really good news out of Hamilton's airport this week. However, and I'm not being a Debbie Downer, but we've had really good news before. Is this good news about new passenger lines and routes that are now available out of here? Is this good news going to last? We're going to talk about it when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Hour number two of the Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. Thanks for being with us. We are going to, in just a moment, be chatting about our airport. I want to tell you, though, if you're looking for someone to model your life after, or at least your month, maybe your month, maybe not your whole life. If you're looking for someone to model your month after, you got to do it. You got to model it after this guy in Maryland. They didn't, they don't give his name. They just say he's a lottery player, a Maryland lottery player, a guy down there who regularly plays the lottery. Won 50,000 bucks. No big deal, right? I mean, 50,000 is nice. No one's going to turn up their nose at $50,000, but he didn't win it once. He played the lottery. He won the lottery. He played the lottery again. Doesn't say how many times, but in very short order, won another $50,000, played the lottery again, won another $50,000. Who in the world hits the lottery three times in a month? I mean, we, he should be, I mean, he could make a living now. He's already got some money. He's got 150 grand, although that's not enough to live on forever. He should just sell himself out as a good luck charm. You can go and rub his head or something. Who could possibly hit the same, hit the numbers three times in a month? There are people, most people who play the lottery regularly, who've never won in their lifetime and never will win in their lifetime. 50, 000, three times to win 50,000 in a row. That is unbelievable. Far, far, far luckier than yours truly ever is. Although I don't play the lottery, which probably contributes to my lack of winning it. <laughs> <laughs> it's generally a good idea to buy a ticket if you're hoping to win the lottery. I, it, as far as I know, they don't just show up. Well, what was that old one with Ed McMahon, the uh, sweepstakes one? They did that, but mostly they don't just show up at your house and say, hey, you won the lottery. Anyway, that's that. That's the person now that I am I am hoping to emulate. Three lottery wins in the span of a month. That is... Um, uh, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. All right, your quiz question today, nothing to do with lotteries. This is very straightforward. I assume you are going to know this or not know this right off the bat. What does a fathom measure? What does a fathom measure? 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Those are the numbers. You can get Matt going that way, or you can just text us directly, 905-645-3221.
This is certainly the time of the year when many people are, even though we just finished Christmas holidays, are starting to think about, oh man, how can I get away? Can I get away? Is there somewhere warm and sunny that I could get to? Because uh, those these dog days of winter that we're heading into are, um, well, just look out the window. They're, they're getting to everybody a little bit. And so it was really um, interesting slash encouraging this week when we saw that flights to Punta Cana were leaving from Hamilton Airport, from John C. Monroe Airport. And then not exactly a warm climate, but news this week that there is now going to be a European low-cost carrier from Iceland, which could take people from here to Europe. These are these are things that for years we've been trying to, we've been hoping might come together at Hamilton Airport uh, now it seems to be the case, and uh, and that's a positive thing. Uh, Cole Horncastle is with Hamilton with the Pearson, uh, not Pearson. Uh, there's a there's a Freudian slip. <laughs> hey, Cole with the John C. Monroe Airport. Um, he joins us now. Cole, sorry about that. That's uh, you know uh, that bound to happen. It was bound to slip out. Thanks for doing this today. <laughs> No, not a problem. I'll let that one slide. That's fine. <laughs> I won't do it again. I promise. That's a swear word, right? Probably. Um, so th- this is this does sound like it is positive that we are starting maybe to see more in the passenger side of things that is building up at the airport yeah definitely and and scott first thanks for thanks for having me lots of great news coming out of the airport recently in the last couple of weeks and, and always happy to join and talk about all the positive things that are happening you know with respect to to recovery of passenger traffic we're definitely seeing those trends We'll be excited to pass along our, our 2022 results in a couple of, of weeks very shortly, and we're going to be seeing some growth over the past couple of years on that. But with with today's announcement, we're, we're extremely excited to welcome Play to Hamilton uh, for this summer as the airport launches, as the airline launches its low-cost service in Canada. So this introduction of daily non-stop flights from the John C. Monroe Hamilton International Airport to Reykjavik Keflavik Airport uh, in Iceland will give travelers in our region the option to stay and explore the wonders of Iceland or connect onward. And this is very important through Play's extensive network to 26 exciting destinations across Europe at a very affordable price tag. So that's just just great news. Um, You can actually go on and start booking today uh, your flights, which will begin on June 22nd. So just it's extremely great news. Some of the flights that you can connect onward, um, if you know, you're looking for that European flight, Berlin, Brussels, Copenhagen, uh, Dublin, London, Paris, just to name a few. Or, you know, like myself, you can actually just stay and in, in, be interested in staying in Iceland for a bit, as, as I know it would be a beautiful trip there. Uh, a number of years ago, um, my daughter and a friend, and, and I had never thought about Iceland, and, and I know probably a lot of people are saying, why in the world would we be fl- having our connecting flight to Iceland? Why would Hamilton be flying to Iceland? I didn't realize until they took a flight again from that other airport I mentioned earlier, which I won't mention again, (laughs) but they went to Iceland and then, as you say, connected elsewhere. And it's apparently, I guess, a very convenient way to get to Europe. Yes. And, and, you know, from, from knowing friends and family who've done this as well uh, in the past, um, staying a day or two in Iceland is a, is a very common thing Mm -hmm. before moving on to uh, your European destination there just because of the, the the great things you can do in Iceland but the connectivity here uh, is spectacular where you know the afternoon flight from Hamilton International um, to uh, Iceland and then connecting on uh, from Iceland to those varying destinations will we'll just give passengers uh, such variability on where they can move their travel plans to in the future. Cole this it's been a number of years now I mean really during COVID with a lot of flights coming in but for, for a number of years now 
uh, Monroe Airport has been doing exceptionally well in the cargo side of things. I know that we've heard reports of, you know, great numbers of flights and everything else coming in. Why has it been more difficult on the passenger side? For sure. Yeah. And, and Scott, I think you're referring probably to one of the more recent uh, publications from our and from cargo, where um, based on uh, the most recent statistics, we are showing as the third largest cargo airport in Canada and the fastest growing, uh, outpacing the Canadian average significantly. So lots of great news uh, on the cargo side. From the passenger side, we continue to uh, grow and recover from the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, we were just on the cusp of that million passenger level um, and with the support of many of our, our carriers, one being our, our largest passenger uh, operator, Swoop, continuing to uh, provide lots of domestic Canada locations as well as North American. Uh, we, were, we were just on that cusp of a million and then obviously the pandemic hits uh, and really impacts um, uh, air travel throughout the world. From that, we're, we're seeing that recovery now. We're getting back to, to where we are, and we're really looking forward to for, for travelers to using all of these services from the airport. What, what would be your desired capacity? You talk about a million passengers. I mean, how many passengers theoretically could your airport handle before it became too much? It's, it's a, that's a great question. Um, we, are, we are going through a master plan process right now um, at the airport and with ourselves and Vantage Airport Group um, to specifically answer and, and, and look at that question again to see where is that that capacity limit. Um, I think from the terms of the facility where we're at now, uh, we definitely have the ability to do to do more. Lots of these low-cost travelers uh, or low-cost airlines like to start flights very early in the morning uh, and then there's a bit of a lull and come through at different times of the day. So in terms of capacity, we do have uh, availability throughout the day uh, with, with times um, for departures. Um, but that being said, as we know the type of service we provide and more carriers will want to use those time slots. So you know, overall, as we're, we're looking at that question uh, and I'm looking forward to providing that once the master plan process is completed. But do you believe there is significant room for growth? And I don't just mean the number of planes that might land, but uh, you're on a particular piece of property. There's only so much parking that you can possibly have there. There's so, only so much room in your terminal that you could have people waiting. I, I mean, is there is there lots of room to still, do you believe, grow beyond just up and down planes or is it getting close? Oh, definitely. No, we, we definitely have lots of room to continue this growth and, and accepting uh, traffic. One of the the, the reasons, and I know we're mentioning um, aircraft here again, but we're not slot controlled. We have the ability uh, to continue to accept flights and our facilities, um, though they might get busier at certain times of the day, uh, still definitely has the ability to, to keep passengers moving forward uh, to it. So we, we definitely have the ability to continue to grow here. Um, but the benefits of being in the Vantage uh, Network, the Vantage Airport Group, um, is that when the, the time and need comes for investment, um, I know that we'll be uh, looking forward to what that, that future holds. You said you're, if I heard you right, you said you're not slot controlled. What does that mean? Correct. Yeah. So uh, aircraft at the at Hamilton International Airport um, don't need to actually uh, have a designated uh, time to land. Uh, we're not slot controlled, meaning that they can operate at the times that they need to. Okay. So do some places say that like taking any airline, Air Canada can only land between this and this, so we clear it for other airlines? Is that what you mean? Exactly. At airports that are, are more congested, uh, there's definitely uh, slot times that they have to okay. basically a designated okay. time where they can operate. This has been, and, and part of the reason for this, and part of the reason I think people, A, get excited when they hear that there are more flights leaving from Hamilton, but I will say also, I think there are people who get 
perhaps a little cynical and go, yeah, well, let, let's see how long this lasts. Because honestly, we have over the years had a number, especially of low cost carriers that have set up in Hamilton. And before too long, we hear an announcement that they are pulling out of Hamilton. How do we believe or why do we believe that these ones are more permanent or have the possibility of being more permanent? And, you know, I think when it comes down to to that question, you know, we've had had swoop operating at the airport uh, since its inception and calling us its its eastern hub and, and doing quite successful from there. So from a, a affordable travel perspective, I, I really do feel we have a lot of consistency in, in services being offered when it comes to play in this new uh, European service here. Um, looking at their track record of success since their inception, um, I, I think, you know, if I was a traveler, looking at how they've they moved over 800,000 passengers uh, through Europe in, in the last year. Um, it just is a testament to, to the services they can provide at, at the airport. And, uh, you know, I think moving forward, it's, it's likely going to be a successful partnership. There was a time, and I can't remember the year, I'm guessing 15 years ago, give or take, that when WestJet really got going, Hamilton was its hub. Hamilton was its central place uh that's not the case anymore it is would that be useful would it be helpful for hamilton to build itself up i don't mean for westjet but for any airline to say this is you know i think southwest has chicago or houston i can't remember which you know is it sort of central hub would that be useful for hamilton to be able to find an airline that calls this home well you know i think we, we market ourselves as that affordable option uh for for passengers, for stakeholders. And I, I think that is really holding true in the marketplace. You know, we're, we're in this, this great golden horseshoe area where many of us want to, to travel, to explore Canada, explore North America. And now we'll have the luxury to explore Europe from our, our great airport here in, uh, in Hamilton. So, you know, I think when it comes to that, I think we do a great job of, of knowing who we are in the Canadian marketplace. Um, and we've got some real great success stories to say off of that. What's our selling feature here when you've also got Pearson down the road? I said I wouldn't mention the name again, but I just did. Uh, but also Buffalo just down the road, which is you know a, a place that I know a lot of people from around here really like because it's very convenient and it's very easy. What is our selling feature in Hamilton? Why mm -hmm. you should fly out of Monroe? Well, we've got we definitely have a, a couple, and I'm just going to name a few. One is is affordability, and with the operators who. Uh, are flying from a passenger standpoint from our airport, um, they really give passengers the the ability to to pay for what they want to on those flights um, to make it the kind of trip that that they want it to be. But when it comes to uh, our facilities and what we offer, we really offer that hassle free experience that where you can get from parking your car through security in two hundred steps or less. So really, that uh, that local feel. Uh, we've got great concessions in the in the terminal but in general it's a, it's a hassle fee free experience where you know you don't have to go through the hustle and bustle of other airports you said hassle fee i thought for a second because i think some airports should have a hassle fee quite honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, flown out of a few, I've flown out a few in the last year or so there should definitely be a hassle fee that we're paying for um how important is it Cole? that how important now because again i i don't want to be the downer but again, th this airport over the years has struggled at times keeping these. How important now that when you have these announcements and you've got this momentum moving forward, how important is it that these airlines now stay here for a good long time so that people really believe, believe in, the, in the product, quite frankly? 
Yeah, and I, I think it is important to have the longevity of service, and and we have seen that with with a, you know some of our major ones, WestJet. Even though their service levels have have changed over time, have continued to be an anchor tenant. Swoop since its inception have start, has is an anchor tenant here. We've had Lynx just start up at the airport last last summer um, in June, and is continuing to offer great services across Canada. And now with Play here, and you know we we are hoping that that continues and, and all signals are pointing to that, that long relationship. I can understand, um, you know, over our history, we've kind of had those, those ups and downs when it comes to, to passenger options. But, you know, since the, the low cost uh, market really started to evolve here, in which Hamilton has been a leader since 2016, uh, the airport has continued to provide more and more options to our passengers. And I think since that time frame, uh, we've continued to show that, that experience is what people want. Um, and as well, it's the, at the price point that, that they're hoping for. I mean, your job isn't necessarily um, directly listening or hearing directly from the customers. They would probably reach out to the airlines for a lot of their comments. But is there a, a flight or an area that Hamilton doesn't have flight servicing right now that you hear is highly desired that you're trying to get? You know, well, one of them has always been uh, London, actually. And with this announcement, uh, it, it, it really hits on that need. Um, you know, going through through Reykjavik, uh, Keflavik here to, to London is, is something that we've heard from our passengers. We do do passenger surveys to uh, hear where people want to go to next. And actually, even in the terminal, we have got a, a big gumball machine that lists off a couple destinations and you, you take the gumball from the place you want to go to next. So it's a pretty close race between mm. all of those there. But um you know, we're, we're definitely always working with our, our stakeholders on, on assessing data and, and understanding where people want to go to next. We only have a minute or so left here, but it, it, refresh my memory. Hamilton, Monroe Airport is connected under the same umbrella with um, uh, New York, right? With um, uh, Yeah, oh. I, can, I can jump in here, Scott. Yeah, please. One. So being uh, 100% owned by Vantage Airport Group, um, is such an asset for for all of us in Hamilton here to to be able to pull on those um, LaGuardia. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. LaGuardia Airport is the most uh, one of the most recent completions of a, a multi billion dollar project, which uh, right now is being led by uh, his previous CEO Frank Scrim There, so uh, the the power of the Vantage Network crew, and uh, you know they're on to on to more billion dollar projects with with uh, JFK being the next one over there. So it's great to be a part of such a, a big network of airport professionals. Um, and we really can pull upon that leverage uh, when needed. And that's where I was going to go. Of course, LaGuardia skipped my mind completely. But now, but with that connection, is there any possibilities of that being a, a big route that we would have or that there's any other spinoffs that, that, I mean, again, it's the airlines that choose their destinations. I understand that. But can mm-hmm. the airports direct that in any way? Yeah. And, you know, to say that you, you'd go right into New York because we have that connection, it's uh, not always realistic, but, you know, we've got as part of our network four Canadian air- airports here um, as well. So Hamilton is, is one of them, but, you know, Moncton, uh, Kamloops and Fort St. John are also part of these networks. And I know whenever we're talking to carriers, uh, we're, we're promoting the network and, uh, you know, really hoping to, to continue to, to build uh, flights between all of our, our network airports. Uh, it is some good news this week, for sure, with uh, with flights now going to Punta Cana and flights going to Europe through Iceland. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm touching wood as we speak that uh, <laughs> next year, if we're talking at this time, that they are still here and still growing. Because, I, I, look, I think I, I truly believe many, many people in this city would really like 
Hamilton Airport to be a feasible option for most or much of their flying. I, I, re I really do. I think that's a legitimate thing. And so here's hoping that it continues moving that way. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. So uh, here's here's to next year talking about where more where more places we can go to, Scott. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a list of a few places. Uh, how's your direct flights to Papua New Guinea from here? Um, Cole Horncastle, uh, Executive Managing Director of John C. Monroe, not Pearson, John C. Monroe International Airport. Thank you. Yeah, it, really it is. It. It's a good it's a good story that we have more of these options now. And I really and maybe you do, too. I mean, look, maybe, maybe you don't travel much. But if you've ever traveled, if you've ever been able to fly out of, or even better, land in Hamilton Airport, and you live in this area, oh my goodness, is it ever, is it ever better than having to go to either Buffalo or Toronto? Now, I mean, look, Buffalo Airport has its charms, and 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 Buffalo Airport does a great job, and Pearson, well, lately, I I. I honestly can't say a whole lot from my previous recent experiments uh, experiences with Pearson. I can't say a whole lot complimentary, but you know, the one thing you can say is you can get a flight just about anywhere in the world. But if you live in Hamilton or very close to Hamilton, you can get in, you can land, you can be off the plane, you can be through, get your bag and be in your car in a fraction of the time. And then like home, if again, if you live in Hamilton in minutes, it is, it is so much more convenient. The only problem has always been limited flights, limited places that you can go, limited options. If we can, not we, no, I'm not doing anything, but if, if the people who are running the airport and the airlines and everyone else, if they can get this to where the number of places goes up and the, and the um, reliability stays up so you know that these airlines are still going to be here so people feel it's credible and people feel comfortable booking if we can again not we if the city if the people running it if it, if this airport can be made into far more of a passenger hub i gotta tell you if you've never flown out of hamilton as a hamiltonian or flown into hamilton oh my goodness what a difference so here's hoping that this, here's hoping that these stick around. Here's hoping that these are here for a long time. And here's hoping that more are coming. Because I also believe, and, and I don't have anything to base this on other than kind of logic, but the more airlines that fly out of here and have some success doing it, the more that would be more likely to do that. So here's hoping because it is, it is flying, landing in Hamilton compared to landing in Toronto or Buffalo, monumental difference, monumental difference in your home in 15 minutes, monumental difference. Let's take a break back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Quiz question tonight. What does a fathom measure well if you've ever been around water or watched twenty thousand leagues under the sea that kind of thing fathom measures depth of water depth of water My, matt anyone know that one tonight yes uh we've got tom frank jackie two joes wayne maria hugh caitlin dermitrician uh, ruth gino sam drew paul tony and eddie well done. Yeah, I, I figured some people would, it was one of those things people would know or they wouldn't know. So well done, all of you. 
Uh, we'll be back at six o'clock tomorrow. Hump day tomorrow. Getting there. We will talk to you then. Have yourself a wonderful night. See ya. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.